So today we're continuing our study in the, about the birth of Jesus Christ as revealed in the Gospel of John. So please take a Bible and join me in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. If you're taking the Bible from the chair in front of you, it's page 886. John 1, and, and uh, listen as I review where we were last week. So this is John 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray once again. Father, as we open your word, we give you thanks for it. We give you thanks for the written word. We give you thanks for the living word that you sent into our world to reveal yourself to us. God, thank you for the wonder of that amazing gift. And uh, please fill us afresh with awe over the truths that we're reading about today, Jesus coming for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The wonder of Christmas really is that God would enter our world in the person of Jesus Christ and that Jesus came to be a light here in the darkness. In one sense, I suppose that no one can ever fathom what it means that God was born in a manger, the incarnation, in flesh, God in the flesh. And my prayer is that as we look at John's view of the incarnation today, it will increase our wonder about the meaning of Christmas and it will increase our relationship with Christ this year. One of the emphases that John gives in his gospel is that Jesus is the light of the world. He's the light and one of the things that tells us is God knew that we needed something we couldn't deal with ourselves. Okay? We had a problem. We couldn't overcome it. So God sent somebody, his son, for us. See, darkness represents spiritual blindness. So if you haven't already, pull out your notes or open them up on your app. And uh, darkness represents spiritual blindness. See, many people don't see Jesus as supremely valuable. They don't see his sacrifice for them as precious. They don't see fellowship with God as the greatest treasure of all. They're just simply blind to these realities because they walk in darkness. And spiritual blindness leads to moral blindness. So no wonder there is so much suffering and pain in our world. Well, that brings us to our text, which begins at verse 6 today. A little outline. So our text falls into two parts. 6 through 8, verses 6 through 8 show us how God has given us a very adequate witness to his son. And verses 9 to 13 describe how people respond to that. Two very different responses people have to the light. So let's begin with what John tells us about the witness to the light. The witness to the light. And one thing we see is here we have the language of a courtroom. It's legal talk in the sense that the point of a witness... A witness is in a court, okay? In a courtroom, a witness is to establish what the truth is beyond any reasonable doubt. And as one commentator explains about John's gospel, John is going to marshal seven witnesses to who Jesus is in his gospel. Today, we're just looking at the first one, the, the, uh, and that is John the Baptist. So let me read about this first witness beginning at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness 
about the light. So John had this massive following of people coming from Jerusalem, coming from all around to prepare for the Messiah. They were listening to his preaching, hearing him tell them to prepare that the Messiah was coming, and he was baptizing them in the Jordan River, and so he became known as John the Baptist. John was the last of the Old Covenant prophets. There had been no prophets for the last 400 years when John came on the scene. And you can read about John the Baptist, his life in the early chapters of Matthew and Mark and Luke. They describe him fairly fully. But I want to kind of summarize a few of the things that we know about him from Scripture. First, we know that Jesus and John were related. Jesus and John the Baptist were relatives. The angel Gabriel noted that, that their mothers were relatives. Many assume that they were cousins. We don't know that for sure, but we do know that they were related through their mothers. We also know that Jesus called John the greatest man who ever lived, at least up to his day. So why? Was he more intellectual? Was he more influential? Was he more spiritual? What was it about John the Baptist? Well, I believe that it was likely because he had the greatest responsibility and he had a more privileged role than anyone before him. John introduced people to the Messiah. He introduced Jesus to the world. John the Baptist was a very bold and forthright man. He was also a very humble man, but he was resolute. He was strong, and he was so faithful in his preaching of the truth that it cost him his head, literally. Matthew 14 tells us that Herod, King Herod, had John the Baptist beheaded. Third, John the Baptist is the only person in human history of whom it is said that he was filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And his birth was miraculous in that his parents were so old that they were too old to have a child, but miraculously God enabled them to have this baby. Some believe that they were in their 80s at the time that John was born. And finally, God sent John in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Let me give you a couple of them. Isaiah 40, verse 3, says, A voice is calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Well, John the Baptist was that voice. Also, Malachi 3.1, God foretold this. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Again, John was the fulfillment of those prophecies. That's the identity of John the Baptist. And next, the Apostle John describes the purpose of his witness, the purpose of the witness John had. He wrote this about him. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. That all might believe through him. Who was John? He was just a witness. Okay? Again, the language of a courtroom. Because John, the apostle, is presenting all of this in his gospel in, in a way that encourages people to read and come to a verdict on their own about who Jesus is. John was sent to attract people to Christ. And my friends, that's exactly our responsibility as well. In a different way, but our responsibility is to attract people to Jesus Christ. Not to attract people to ourselves, but to point people at Christ. Okay? John was faithful to that responsibility, even though it cost him his life. So might I ask you a question today? Are you faithfully pointing people to Jesus? Are you faithfully fulfilling that role? We're alive today according to the sovereign plan of God 
to do our part in this generation to fulfill the Great Commission. And that means pointing people to Christ and helping them become devoted followers of Christ. Jesus would later tell his disciples before he left earth, he said, you shall be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. So the question is, are we? Are we faithfully pointing people to Jesus? The world is still filled with darkness. So we must be light shining in a dark place until the day dawns. So now we have this transition from John the Baptist back to the word, back to Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And John writes this. He says, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world, coming into the world. There were counterfeit lights. There are counterfeit lights today. But Jesus is the one true light. He is the genuine, the ultimate self-disclosure of God to mankind. The incarnation really is beyond our ability to comprehend. So how can we explain, how can we understand the wonder of an almighty God stooping to become a tiny infant for us? Our minds just can't really understand that. God becoming man. And to help us out with that wonder, I, I want to read a short story for you today that's written by J.B. Phillips. The story is called The Angel's Point of View. And I first heard this story in a Christmas chapel at Dallas Seminary when I was a student there. And the story is a make-believe account between two angels. It's based on the verse I just read, John 1, 9, and, and also a passage in 1 Peter 1 that talks about how the angels long to understand and long to look into the prophecies of the coming Messiah. So, now for the story. Once upon a time, a very young angel was being shown around the splendors and glories of the universe by a senior and experienced angel. To tell the truth, the little angel was beginning to be tired and a little bored. He had been shown whirling galaxies and blazing suns, and to his mind, there seemed to be an awfully lot of it all. Finally, he was shown the galaxy of which our planetary system is but a small part. As the two of them drew near the star which we call our sun and its circling planets, the senior angel pointed to a small and rather insignificant sphere turning very slowly on its axis. It looked as dull as a dirty tennis ball to the little angel whose mind was filled with the size and glory of all he'd just seen. I want you to watch that one in particular, said the senior angel pointing with his finger. Well, it looks very small and rather dirty to me, said the little angel. What's special about that one? That, replied his senior solemnly, is the visited planet. Visited, said the little one. You, you don't mean visited by, indeed I do. That ball, which I have no doubt looks to you small and insignificant, has been visited by our Prince of Glory. At those words, he bowed his head reverently. The little angel's face wrinkled in disgust. Do you, do you mean to tell me that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures of that floating ball? I do. And I don't think he would like you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up, to become like him. The little angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond his comprehension. 
Close your eyes for a moment, said the senior angel, and we will go back in what they call time. While the little angel's eyes closed and the two of them moved nearer the spinning ball, it stopped at spinning, spun backwards quite fast for a while, and then slowly resumed its, resumed its usual rotation. Now look, and as the little angel did as he was told, there appeared here and there on the dull surface little flashes of light, some merely momentary and some persisting for quite a time. What am I seeing now, queried the little angel? You are watching this little world as it was some thousands of years ago. Every flash of light that you see is something of the Father's knowledge and wisdom breaking into the minds and hearts of people who live upon the earth. Not many people you see can hear his voice or understand what he says, even though he is speaking gently and quietly to them all the time. Why are they so blind and deaf and stupid? asked the junior angel rather crossly. It's not for us to judge them. See, we who live in the splendor have no idea what it's like to live in the dark. But watch, for in a moment you will see something truly wonderful. The earth went on turning and circling around the sun, and then quite suddenly there appeared a tiny light, but so bright that its intensity caused both of the angels to hide their eyes. I think I can guess, said the little angel in a low voice, that was the visit, wasn't it? Yes, that was the visit. The light himself went down there and lived among them. Open your eyes now. The dazzling light has gone. The, the prince has returned to his home of light. But watch. Watch the earth now. As they looked in the place of the dazzling light, there was a bright glow which throbbed and pulsated. And then as the earth turned many times, little points of light began to spread. A few flickered and died, but for the most part, the lights burned steadily. And as they continued to watch, in many parts of the globe, there was a glow. You see what is happening? Asked the senior angel. The bright glow is the company of loyal men and women he left behind. And with his help, they spread the glow. And now lights begin to shine all over the earth. Yes, yes, said the little angel impatiently. But, but how, how does it all end? With the little lights joining up and becoming one, will, will, will it all be light like it is here in heaven? His senior shook his head. We simply do not know. The end is not yet, but now I am sure you can see why this little ball is so important. He has visited it. Yes, I see, though I don't understand. I shall never forget, though, that this is the visited planet. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Well, that's how one man imagines the response of the angels to the amazing truth of the incarnation. I think more importantly to us uh, we, is we would consider how we respond and how people have responded over the years to the... Re so let's talk about the response to the light of people, those who live on earth. And John's point here is that when Jesus came into the world, it demands a response. To understand the possible responses, let's move now to verse 9. Verse 9 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
How does Jesus enlighten everyone like it talks about here? Okay, what does that mean? Well, that word enlighten means to expose, to shine a light on and to so expose the truth. Okay? The incarnation is when Jesus shed light upon all the world, and thus he divides the world into two groups. There are those who hate the light and respond to the light as the world does. They flee lest their evil deeds are exposed, and there are others who receive this revelation and welcome his light. But again, John's point here is that it demands a response. This light that Jesus brought requires a response. When the light exposes corruption and sin, some hide, some flee. But others welcome the light, knowing it's for their good, for their healing. And John goes on to describe these two responses, and he begins by showing us the wrong response. He says, some reject him. Some people reject the light of God's Son. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This shows the tragedy of sin and of darkness and the irrationality of the human heart. If God loves sinners enough to send his own son to pay for our sin and to offer us eternal life as a free gift, how insane for people to scream, Snow, stop it, get out of here, turn off the light, I don't want the light. Think about that. John says, although the world was made through him, the world did not know him. Such is our spiritual blindness. And then John heightens the irony even further when he says the world not only didn't know him, they rejected him, his own rejected him. He came to the very people that should have known him the best, and for the most part, they wanted nothing to do with him. They knew he was coming. God had told them over and over again in many ways. Even some pagan astrologers in Persia figured it out when they saw his star in the east. But think about it. Moses said he was coming. David said he was coming. Isaiah and Jeremiah said he was coming. Daniel and Micah and Zechariah and Malachi all prophesied the coming of Messiah. Every book, every chapter of the Old Testament testifies to one great truth. He's coming. That's the theme of every chapter of the Old Testament, that one day God would send his Messiah to the earth to deliver his people. And when Jesus finally arrived, they rejected him. Some even decided to kill him, to put him to death. Let me pause for a moment here and draw an application. Friend, don't be surprised when people don't respond to your witness as you hope. Don't be surprised. We're responsible to be lights. We're not responsible for how people respond to the light. Jesus said it like this. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our job is to shine as lights in our dark world. But it's easy to get discouraged that people aren't more responsive sometimes. Don't be surprised. Be be faithful lights 
But don't get discouraged that not everyone is interested. Let your light shine nonetheless. Well, there's some good news as well that John's going to give us. He says, even though some reject our Savior, not all do. Some receive him. All right? You see, the, the news is not all bad. And while it's true that for the most part the world ignored him and his own people rejected him, some people do welcome him as their Lord and Savior. And that's what verse 12 is about. Verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 12 has rightly been called one of the greatest verses in all of the New Testament because it tells us how to be saved. I want you to notice three key words in this verse. The first is the word receive, to all who did receive him. This word means to welcome someone into your life or into your home. It's like welcoming someone to your house, all right? So let's say you plan a Christmas party and you give, ask your guests to arrive at a certain time and when they arrive, you hear them knock on the door or the doorbell and so you walk to the door, you open the door and you say, welcome, come in. That's this word receive, all right? To receive Christ means we welcome him as an honored guest in our life, in our home. Second is the word believed. To all who received him, to who, who believed in his name. And that means more than just saying a prayer or signing a card. It has the idea of believing with all of your heart that Jesus is the Son of God as he claimed. Understanding that he is God in the flesh come to our earth to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, and then to rise again from the dead. It means that you stop relying on your own merits and on your own works and rely completely on Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sin. Resting on him so completely that he alone is your hope of heaven. Believed. Received, believed, and the third word is the word right. He gave the right to become children of God. And that word means the honor or the privilege See, the moment that you receive Christ into your life, God gives you the privilege of becoming children of God, members of his very own family. And by the way, one of the things this verse reminds us is that not everyone is a child of God. So how does a person become a child of God, like it's being described here? Well, that's what verse 13 goes on to explain further. He says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There's three nots and one but in this verse, and all four are important, all right? Not of blood. Some translations say not of natural descent. And it refers to human ancestry, okay? The point is God has no grandchildren. You aren't a Christian because your parents are Christians or because your grandpa was a pastor or something like that, your family background doesn't count at all when it comes to your salvation. Okay, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. And that probably refers to a decision of human parents to have a child. So the, the point is, becoming a child of God doesn't work like deciding to have a human child. Okay, you can't make the decision to save yourself. So don't bother trying. Then he says, nor of the will of man, which means that, that you can't have some important person, some important man get you into heaven. 
No person has that kind of influence, that kind of power to open the pearly gates for you. Everyone has to meet God's requirements on their own for themselves. So those are the three knots. Here's the one but. He says, but of God. We become a child of God, but of God. Not, of the, not any of these three ways, but of God. Okay, that's the heart of the gospel. Salvation doesn't originate with us, with man. It originates with God. Okay, it's a free gift. Totally free, totally of grace. It's not some cooperative venture where you do these things and God does these things and that gets you to heaven. It's completely of God. Okay, but someone might object, well, don't I have some part to play in my salvation? Sure you do. You have a part. Your part is to be hopelessly lost in sin. That's it. God, and to repent, to be willing to receive God's gift. God's part is to save you. He does it all. Okay? He alone gets the credit that way. So let's talk about some application to what we've heard today, what we've read. Next step number one is this. I will focus on the true meaning of Christmas this season. It's very easy to be sidetracked and distracted by uh, all that's going on around us at this time of year and to sort of miss out on the most important, which is keeping Jesus at the center of it all. That's the reason for the Advent resources that we've been passing out. And if you haven't picked yours up already, please stop by the Faith at Home Center on your way out down at the bottom of the stairs on the right and pick up your Advent resources. And uh, uh, we'd love you to, they're free. Take one home, uh, use it in your home. Uh, it's also why we're sending out the weekly emails with devotionals and activities for you to use, for you to take part in. If you haven't, by, for any reason, been getting those, uh, we'd like to get them to you. One reason might be if we don't have your current email address. So if you'd like to receive these weekly devotionals and activities, make sure we have your, your current address and just write that on your communication card today. And I'd also like to suggest reading some Christmas devotionals or some good books this time of year that, that really focus on the majesty and the wonder of Christmas. I know many of you are doing that. I get these uh, emails from version saying uh, that you, some of you are, that are doing Christmas devotionals there, at least that uh, if we're friends, then I get this note saying that so-and-so finished their, this devotional reading about Christmas. So keep up the good work. That's what I'm saying. I will focus on the true meaning of the season. Next step, too, is I will witness faithfully for Christ. No matter how people respond, no matter uh, if they like what I'm saying or not, my job, your job, is to be a faithful witness and trust the response to God. So don't worry if some people aren't interested. Why? Because it's not up to you. It's up to the Holy Spirit to move in their hearts, to draw people to himself. So faithfully share your story. What a great time of year to tell people what Christmas means to you. And of course, invite people to come with you over the next two weeks. We have some great Christmas services planned over the next few weeks. I will witness faithfully for Christ, no matter what. Here's next step number three. I will examine the testimony about Jesus Christ. Perhaps some of you haven't ever really taken a close, in-depth, honest look at what the Bible says about Jesus. Okay? If, if you have never done that, then it's not really very fair to sort of reject Christ. It's important that you take the time to thoroughly examine the evidence about what Jesus said and who he is as recorded for us in the Word of God. So, 
I want to encourage you to read the Bible, read the Christmas story. I want to encourage you to read the Gospel of John like, like Red suggested last week with an open heart and ask God to reveal himself to you. I think you'll be blessed if you do that. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, we'd be pleased if you would just take the, the Bible in the chair in front of you as a, our gift to you uh, and then begin reading it. Next step, number four, I will receive Jesus Christ personally into my life. Yes, the world, for the most part, ignored him. His own people rejected him. But the question I'm asking you today is, what are you going to do about him? What will you do with Jesus? It's not enough to know that he came to earth. See, his coming does no good until you receive him as your Savior. John 1.12 says, But to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So many have received him. What about you? Many have put, put their faith in him. They believed in him. Have you? Many have welcomed him into their lives. I hope you have as well. And sometimes people ask, well, how exactly do I receive him? I want to give you three simple steps, the ABCs of receiving Christ. The A stands for admit. Admit you need him. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. B stands for believe. I'm going to believe the facts, what the Bible says about Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he came from heaven and lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for me and he rose again. Believe. C, so admit, believe, and C means confess. Confess your desire to have him as your savior, to welcome him into your life. Are you ready to open the door of your life to Jesus today as your, as your personal Savior? Understand this, that Christ stands knocking, knocking at the door of your heart. And the question is, will you open the door? Will you let him in? I read a delightful story this week about a young boy named Wallace Perling. He was a young man who had been given a big part in the uh, annual Christmas pageant at school. This year he had a speaking part, and he was the he had only one line, but at least this year it was a speaking part, and he was pretty thrilled about that. Wallace was given the part of the innkeeper who would listen to Joseph ask for a place to stay. Then he would turn them away and say, no, be gone. Well, the night for the pageant finally came. Wallace had practiced hard, and he was ready. He, he stood behind the door listening intently for his turn. Finally, the knock came on his door, and he opened the door to Joseph and Mary standing there, and his heart was pounding. There they stood. They looked so tired. And Joseph told how Mary was expecting a child, and they were so weary. And Wallace looked stone-faced at them and just listened, and then when they stopped talking, he said, No, be gone. That's where the story gets interesting. You see, Wallace didn't shut the door as he was instructed. Instead, he watched the couple walk away dejectedly. And finally, while they were still within range, he yelled at them, wait, wait, you can have my room. <laughs> well, some thought the Christmas pageant had been ruined. Others thought it was the best one ever. But friend, this is what it means to receive Christ. You receive Jesus by opening the door and inviting him to come in. I want to wrap up my message today with a simple prayer of invitation. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe God will allow you to use these words as the vehicle to bring you into his family by faith. 
May God help you trust Christ and receive him by faith now. I invite you to just silently pray in your heart as I give this prayer out loud and just uh, say something like this to your Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Bow with me, please. I invite you to pray along silently with me and say, Jesus, for too long I've kept the door of my life shut. I open the door today. I invite you to come into my life. I'm grateful for the gift of salvation. I believe that you died on the cross for me and rose again, and I, in, I put my faith in you alone, Jesus, for salvation. With all my heart, I believe you did what you said, and you're alive today, and you're coming again for me someday. And today, I just want you to know there's room in my heart for you. Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation in Christ, and we pray that you would fill us with great joy in believing these truths. We also pray you'd fill us with boldness and courage in sharing them with others around us. Please open our eyes and our hearts to see all the divine appointments that you give us in these next few weeks, this special time of year. Help us to use them for your honor and glory. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.